You're listening to a podcast by New Heights Church. We hope you're encouraged to glorify, grow, and go. Today, we're going to continue in our sermon series, Saints and Villains, in the book of Genesis. We're going to be continuing in chapter 31. Last week, we left off with some things going on with Laban and Jacob, and we're going to continue them this week. Um, But hopefully, one thing that you're going to notice as we go through this this week is that you need to live your life with faith over fear of what's going on around you. Trusting in in God's plan and his provision, even when there's fear, uncertainty, uneasiness, and difficulty in our lives, is extremely difficult sometimes, right? So making sure that we have a faith that allows us to uh, trust in God's plan and trust in God's provisions for us. We're reminded in Deuteronomy 31, 6, it says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you and he will not forsake you. And for us, that is good news, church, is that no matter what we are in, whatever we're facing, that God will not leave us or forsake us. Last week, remember, Stephen preached in that big picture photo, the, kind of that big idea that he wanted everyone to understand was despite our sin, that God is sovereign. And today we're still going to kind of see that. We're going to see that no matter what's going on in Jacob's life is that the sovereignty of God and the sovereignty of his plan is still at play and you have to trust in that because a faith that leaves you unbelieving in the sovereignty of God is not a faith that is centered on God itself. And I think we see this in the narrative of the Bible, right? So God gives us a promise. We don't trust it. We've run away from that promise and then God continually draws us back in. But if we don't listen to it, we can become scared, we can become hurt, we can become frustrated, and it's really difficult for us. So one thing I want us to look at is instead of focusing on the faithfulness of God in that moment, we become focused on the hopelessness of the world when we turn to the world and try to trust in it. And I think this is a perfect example of what we see Jacob going through in this text. In the midst of his fear, we're going to see Jacob have three things, and our points are God's direction we're going to see God's protection, and we're going to see God's provision on his life. So let me pray, and then we will just jump right into the sermon. God, we thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the privilege of being able to stand up here and preach your word. God, we are ever reminded that you use lowly sinners to to spread your gospel and to advance your kingdom. God, we don't take it lightly that we are called into a life of mission, And I pray today that as we read these words, as they are exposited, that your people's hearts are opened, their ears are open and listening, and that, God, you you transform and conform the hearts of your people into what it is that you need, and that, God, the desires you place in their heart are the godly desires that are needed in their life. And we thank you for everything you give us for those provisions and for your direction. God, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So you can open your Bible. We're going to be in chapter 31, or you can turn your app on. And if you read this previously to get ready for today, you see there's 55 verses. So to save us some time, you probably heard from the first service, I got a little winded. Our first point was probably 40 minutes, and then I breezed through the last two. So if you made some reservations for lunch, you might want to look at those for a little bit um, and make sure because you might be a little hungry by the time we leave. But I'm going to bounce around a little bit. We're not going to preach through every verse. I'm going to look at very specific ones to try to keep that story and that narrative rolling that we see here. 
So starting in verses one and two, it says, Jacob has taken all that was our father. So where it left off last week, this is Jacob hearing the sons of Laban talking to Laban. And it says, and from what was our father's, he has gained all his wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. So Jacob has taken all that was our father's. Is this true? So does this sound like the same Jacob we've been preaching about the last couple weeks? If you've been following through our sermon series, you know it's not, right? You know, this doesn't sound like Jacob at all. In fact, it wasn't Jacob who stole anything. It was the exact opposite. In his trust and in his understanding of the covenant that God had made with him and his family, God was proportionately growing his wealth and growing everything he had proportionately to what Laban had had. And this wasn't anything that Jacob was doing on his own. This was all because of the continued promise that God would never leave him, God would provide for him, and God would give him everything that he needed. But I can't imagine in this moment what Jacob's mindset was. As he's hearing these people, he's like, how can this be? How can they think this of me? I've been with them for 20 plus years at this point. I'm your brother-in-law. I'm your son-in-law, Laban. Surely you would know I wouldn't take anything from you. But what Jacob may not have understood, or maybe we just don't see it written in onto the text, is that Laban's son's words were words that were filled with envy. And envy is not something as Christians that we should have in our life. We should never look at the people around us and the things that people have and be envious of those things. We should be happy and set with the things that we have because God has given us everything that we need. But not only were they envious of Jacob, but the words full of envy were poisoning the heart of Laban. And what was happening is that before his son's words, Laban was happy with the agreement that they had had. But now his heart is transitioning into this hatred for Jacob. But I want to, what I want you to understand is that envy itself is not just bad on its own. Envy itself is known for the company it keeps and the actions that come with it. Because it's not just words that come along with our envious um, lifestyle. It's, it's actions. It's treating someone differently. It's being covetous of everything that someone has. And we're reminded that we are in the world when we are envious and we're not of God. 1 Corinthians 3.3 3 says, For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? James 3.16 says, for where jealousy or envy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Notice it doesn't just say words. It says every vile practice. Envy takes over your life and allows you to fall into a pitfall of depravity that takes over because we're so focused on the world around us. And the caution that we should have as Christians, church, is that an envious heart leads us into ungodly desires, Right? But the promise that we have as Christians lead us to a love that leads to godly desires. And I think we miss that sometimes. I think we look at the house of our neighbor, we look at the car, and all of a sudden we're not up to the lifestyle of those around us. But let me tell you that God is not placing you in that lifestyle because he doesn't want you in that lifestyle. But what we have to understand is that when we trust in the promise of God, we acknowledge that he wants to save us from that envy. <clears throat> we realize when we trust in that promise and the acknowledgement that it was our envy that put Jesus on the cross. 
our disobedience, our deceitfulness, our lust, and our selfish desires. That's what held Jesus to the cross as he, stood, as he hung there to bear our sins. Titus 3.3 says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Church, that is good news for us. It says, for we ourselves once were foolish. It doesn't say we are still foolish. But as Jesus died on that cross to bear your sins and your shame, we went from being foolish to not foolish, no longer disobedient, no longer being led astray, but trusting in the promise of God in his covenant with us. Verse 3 says, Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Husband's in here. You know, as we're preparing to go on date night or we're going out to our lunch or whatever it is with our wife, what's the normal answer you get? I don't know where I want to go. I don't care. Well, how about Chipotle? No. How about Qdoba? No. Well, I thought you said you didn't care. So obviously you care, right? But subliminally, they're really telling us what they want. I'll get messages from Amber, and it'll be a picture of, hey, we have a $10 reward at Outback. Hey, a Bloomin' Onion sounds really good, but it doesn't matter where we go. But really, she's trying to tell me, let's go to Outback. But she wants it to be my idea instead of hers. And in this one, th this reminds me in this moment that God was preparing Jacob for something, even if he didn't know it at the moment. Last week, one of the verses that Stephen would have preached is Genesis 30, 25. And it says, as soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go home to my own country. Do you see what's happening in this moment? God was giving Jacob a desire to go back home before this entire situation that we're going over today even occurred. And after the desire, his present situation turned into something intolerable. And then finally, God gives him that direction that we see to return to the land of your fathers. But what Jacob doesn't understand and what we don't understand is that God isn't working in the way that we think he should. He's not working in the way that Jacob thinks he should, but he's working in the plan of his own sovereignty in the way that he wants to because his plan is better for us than our own. Jacob was sitting in a situation where he was miserable, but God didn't call him out during his uncomfortableness. Instead, God proportionately grew that wealth, gave him animals, gave him money, gave him jewels, gave him everything he needed, and then called him out of it. That can be hard for us. We can have everything we need. We can have a desire to want to do something different in our lives, to walk away from the world that we live in, God can give us a direction, but it's hard for us to trust him with that. It's hard for us to truly understand what that means to drop everything in our life and to move and take care of somebody else or to move and go live on mission for him because we don't wanna step away from our comfortableness. We don't wanna listen to the direction that Jesus has placed in our lives. But this is what Jacob held true to. He held true to the promise of God in this moment and God's steadfast love. 
Because God said, I will be with you. Church, that as a true believer in God, can you imagine the emotions that Jacob would have felt? We read the scriptures, we study, we do Bible studies daily, but can you imagine hearing those words from God saying, I will be with you. We find rest and we find peace in all of those moments if we would hear those words. This is what Jacob had. Jacob had the opportunity of peace. He had the opportunity of confidence in all situations because he had heard these words from God, but yet he doesn't truly understand it yet. The mere promise of the presence of God meant everything. It means everything to us. This is the living hope that we as Christians have and we as believers, that in the times of your life that are uneasy, in the times of your life that are uncertain, in the time of your life that is, incom- that is uncomfortable, we can rest on the promise and the direction that God gives us. You have to have the faith to live that out. And our hope rests in the God of Jacob, who is the same today, who is the same tomorrow, and who is the same forever. The God who promised Jacob that he would be with him, and the same God who sacrificed his son, is the same God that provides us eternal glory. The same God that made the covenant with Abraham is the same God that we worship today. God has not changed. We are the ones who change our focus away from God, who change it away from the direction that God has placed us on. Verses five through the first half of seven, Laban's talking, or Jacob's talking to his wives. It says, and he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before. But the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your family with all of my strength. Yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. So in this moment, Jacob is recalling to his wives the heart change that Laban's had. With a heart full of hatred instead of love, we see and are reminded that he has cheated and he has been unfair to Jacob over and over. And church, I'm reminded in us that this is how we treat God on a daily basis. Is that out of everything that God has done for us, that he had placed his son on a cross to wipe away our immeasurable sin, that we still cheat God, we still are unfair to God, and we only go to God in situations where it feels like we need him. But what happened? God still provided in this moment. In the midst of the deceit and the cheat that was happening in his life, Jacob's wealth still grew. He still continued to accrue camels. He continued to grow his herds. He continued to grow his wealth time and time again. Church, God has consistently provided to Jacob just as he is consistently providing to you. In verse 13, God says to Jacob, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. God's direction was to return to Bethel. Bethel was an important place. If we remember a couple weeks ago when Pastor Will preached about Bethel itself, we remember the importance of this. 
In Genesis chapter 28, which once again was roughly 20 plus years ago, we're only two weeks from the time of preaching it, but these two chapters have covered over 20 years. Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau. Jacob falls asleep on a rock he used for a pillow. And in his dream, he dreams of a ladder stretching between heaven and earth. God is at the top of the ladder, and he's promised all of Canaan to Jacob. So God, in this personal moment, is reiterating the covenant that he has had with his family since Abraham. And what happens? Jacob wakes up, he anoints the stone, and he calls the place Bethel or El Bethel, which means house of God. God is providing direction as his sovereignty to recall Jacob back to the place that he first encountered in a personal way. And I think sometimes as Christians, we need to be called back to that moment in our life as well. We need to look back to that moment that we accepted Christ in our life and we were on fire for him. But we felt the direction that he was giving us. We felt the desire to live a life on mission and to go out and share the gospel and the good news to those around us. Because sometimes we forget where we came from, and if you forget where you came from, you forget where you were going. Because we are creatures of habit. We like to stick to our routines. Most of us probably go to the same coffee shop We probably get the same drink every time we go. We go to the same gas station, but we'll go out of the way to go to it because that's the one we like. It's the one that we feel safest at. But just like Jacob Church, it is good for us to remember the good works in our life that God has done for us because it's easy for us to get caught up in the circumstances of the world around us. Yesterday was the last Saturday that we won't have without college football for the rest of the year. That's great for some of us, right? But what happens is we can become so focused on football and focused on sports that we lose our focus on God. Pastor Stephen preached it last week. You can become so comfortable with sitting on your couch and watching Netflix that all of a sudden you've watched the entire history or show of a 13-season ep- series. It could be 1 o'clock in the morning. We went to bed at 9, but we're still scrolling through TikTok because we don't know how to put our phone down. So we get so caught up in the things of the world that we ourselves become of the world. But church, God directs us back to very specific times and places to remember what he has done for us so that we can be reminded who he is to us. And I think we forget that sometimes. Spurgeon said this. He said, you remember some of you, perhaps the first time when pardoning love was revealed to you, when you were brought to see the love of God in the great atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Well, tonight the Lord says to you, I am the same God as you have ever found me. I have not changed, I change not, Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed, even as your father Jacob was not consumed, for I was even to him the self-same God. 
Church, we are ever-changing in the way we live our lives, and we need to be brought back to that moment to remember what it was that brought us to God and how our life was changed when we received Christ as our Savior. In verse 14, we're going to read 14 through 16, says, Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For as he sold us, and as he, and he has indeed devoured our money, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. This is perhaps the first time the Leah and Rachel have agreed on anything in a long time. Remember, they have been going back and forth for some time now. But one thing they said is, do what God has said to do. But it always makes me wonder when I read this, did they actually mean to do what God has said to do? Because let's be honest, what they're saying to do is we need to follow God's direction and we need to pack everything up. Now remember, at this point, they have a ton of animals. They have camels for the entire family. They have people. They have belongings. They have herds. They have anything and everything you can think of, and they're being asked to pack it away, travel with it, and then reset it up. Church, this isn't an easy task for them to do, but they're saying, let's go ahead and do it. Now, I know me and Amber and our family, we recently moved, and we only moved out back. We didn't move days on end traveling with all of our stuff. We didn't move to another state. So I can only imagine how hard it is in this moment to consider we're going to take everything that God's given us and we're going to trust to move it. Church, that takes faith. But in the end, God's direction was to head back to Bethel. And church, God's direction may not always be easy, but it's one you can trust because I promise you he will provide you the protection, which is our next point. In verses 19 through 21, it says, Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. And I find it interesting here, the Laban's daughter said, they steal their father's belongings after they had complained about him devouring their wealth. See a little bit of hypocrisy in that. But one thing I want to point out is they probably stole it for a very specific reason. Two, well, maybe two specific reasons. One is because you see they referenced it as gods. Laban was using his fortune as a god in his life. So his focus wasn't focused on the God of Jacob or the God of Abraham. But two, they knew they were leaving. And in Genesis 30, 27, which was referenced last week, but Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord God has blessed me because of you. So they were worried that Laban was going to find out where they were. They were worried that he was going to use these gods and this divination to find where they were going to. And they didn't want this to happen. 
But as we read, he tricks Laban. The Barnhouse commentary says this, he could have announced his departure and gone in the glory of an army with banners. But fear made it impossible to reap the full measure of his blessing. He sneaked away into the will of God instead of departing in triumph. So instead of having faith over fear, Jacob let his fear control his faith in this moment. I want you to remember the wealth, the privilege, the belongings, the livestock, the men that Jacob had. He could have easily have walked in there and said, we're leaving. More importantly, let's remember the protection of God who said, I am with you. There was nothing to be afraid of. God had placed his hand of protection over Jacob and his entire family, but in, yet in the night like a thief, Jacob took everything and left. To me, this is one of the saddest parts of this chapter. And it's sad for this reason. Is it because Jacob had a covenant with God? God said, I will be with you. You have my hand of protection no matter what I tell you to do. God continually reminded him of that covenant. God had not left him. God had never forsaken him. God had never forgotten him. Yet in this moment, his departure showed a complete lack of any confidence in the ability of God and placed it in the confidence in the ability of him and his men. And church, this is what I'm worried that we can fall into a pitfall sometimes, is that I think we can all agree we live in a world around that we see cannot be trusted. But we continually run to it for support with all of our problems. Church, my hope is, is that you find your confidence in Christ today and that your confidence is not found in the world around you. That when someone looks at you, they can say that their protection is from God. Do not let yourself become driven by the ability of the world because, church, the world will fail you in every way possible. But God has never failed you, and I promise you he never will. The ability of the world offers you nothing but despair, of hopelessness, and it leads you into a pitfall of depravity. And just like envy that is known for the company it keeps, you will sin time and time again. Psalms 127, or 121, 7 through 8, tells us this. It says, the Lord will protect you from all harm, and he will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and your going, both now and forever. Church, that is good news for us, is that no matter where we are led in our life by God, no matter what the desire is, God will protect us in our comings and our goings. Verse 24 says, but God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. When God came to, Jacob, or God came to Laban, Jacob had been gone three days at this point. I don't know if it takes three days to shear sheep. Maybe it did in this time because they don't have the clippers. But I would like to think that it's God's hand of protection still allowing Jacob to flee, even when Jacob didn't trust God, knowing that he was with him. But I think what it shows with God coming down into a dream to Laban is that there was indeed a hatred 
for Jacob after the poisoning of his heart that was presented in doing something like this. So I think we see there's an intent to cause harm to Jacob. The envious words of his sons led to the poisonous heart that Laban had now had. But I want to sit on that just for a second. God said, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. The details are in the specificity of the words that God spoke here. This is one thing I love reading in the Old Testament and even the New Testament is that the details of God are so specific that they're hard to miss. I'm reminded as we look back as to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they're in the fiery furnace and God saves them. Daniel tells us there wasn't even a smell of smoke. God's word is specific. God's protection on your life is specific. He didn't just say, don't do anything to Jacob. He said, do not say anything. I don't want anything good or bad. And you have the protection of God even when you aren't listening to God, church. God's protection over you is the same regardless. In the depth of your depravity, God has created a way and protection for you. And he did it in a man named Jesus who lived a perfect life, died a sinner's death, defeated death, secured salvation, and protected you from an eternity in hell. That's the living hope and the promise and the protection that we have from our God. In verses 26 through 29, and Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourine and lyre. And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to harm you. There's that intent again. And right here, it reminds me of a guilt trip, right? He's trying to shame Jacob for how he left. This week we were in Dick's Sporting Goods and we were looking at some stuff for softball and Lydia, my youngest, has a birthday in two weeks. And she's gotten on this Stanley Cup kick that you see people carrying around all the time. And we walk by this entire wall of cups, and she's like, Dad, can I get, can I get one of those cups for my birthday as an early birthday present? And I'm like, mm, I don't think you need to take one to school. You're going to spill that everywhere. So I give in. We get her one. But I'm, I get one that has a screw top and has a straw like an old school cooler that pops off. I'm like, you can't spill this anywhere. So she's carrying it around by the handle, and she is sulking and moping as we're through dicks. And we get up to, we're walking into the uh, counter, the cashier, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? She's like, I just don't want it. You're not buying me something I want. Like, it's not, I'm not going to carry it. I'm like, well, I'm not going to pay the money if you're not carrying it. She said, I just want a different one. So she's trying to put me on a guilt trip as we're walking through this store. So what happens? Dad gives in, and we give her what she wants. Anyway, so she gets an early birthday present. But it reminds me of the shamefulness and the guilt that Laban was trying to lay on Jacob. You didn't even let me kiss my family goodbye. And then he goes even further and tries to be deceitful and says, we could have had a celebration. We could have had a good time. We could have had a party. We could have given, got some music. We would have had a great send-off. But as a believer, we know that is not true. As a believer, we see this temptation is what we're faced with every day. 
How often do you go to a restaurant and you order food and you're like, that doesn't look like the menu item I ordered. Listen, I work for McDonald's full time. I know that's not true sometimes, right? <laughs> so we know it happens, but we're, we can be deceived. But when we leave the world, when we leave the hope of the temporal, we fall to the deceitfulness of the world. James 1.3 says, let no one, when he is tempted, say, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The desire, when it was conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. Church, that should be our guard. Church, we should be reminded that the only thing we look to for protection is the one who takes away our sin and holds true to the promises that he has given us in the first place. That's where we find protection. That's where we find safety. That's where we find our peace and we find our confidence to get through life. The second half of verse 7 says, but God did not permit him to harm me. So what we continue to see is that God's promise is still in play. With his direction, God was proving to Jacob in this moment that he was stronger than any man. Isaiah 54, 17 says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Church, we serve a God that nothing could ever defeat. And God showed Jacob that he could overcome anything that seemed impossible. And church, you may be going through at this moment something that seems impossible in your life. You don't know who to turn to. You don't know what the outcome is. You're worried. You're frustrated. You're stressed. It all seems hopeless and lost. You don't know what to do. But church, I promise you that the God you serve is bigger than the problem you're facing. And this is what he was showing Jacob in this moment, and he continues to show you in your life, is that when God becomes the center point of your life, he will become present in your life. And if you're not pursuing God the way that you should be, you need to look at what your life looks like. Are you opening your Bible? Are you studying his word to become more knowledgeable about who God is and about what your relationship looks like? But God was ever present in Jacob's life, even in the moments that he felt helpless in. Genesis 28, 15 said, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back into this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Church, that promise still holds true today. Is that the promise he promised Jacob is still the promise that we have this morning? is that when you receive Christ as your Savior, God is not done working on you. Then as we go on to the next two verses, I'm going to put two verses that aren't next to each other, a little bit together. So we're going to read 36 and 42. It says, Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. He said, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? And then verse 42 said, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac have not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands, and he rebuked you last night. This reminds me of a scene maybe in a movie where someone just has a problem, and we're not entering into an adult conversation. We're not having a problem about those issues that surround us on a daily basis, right? 
We may have an issue with a coworker that we just keep putting off and putting off. And then one day we're just going to blow up on them. I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I'm going to tell them exactly how I feel. We've probably all been there a time or two, right? This had to have been the case for Jacob. 20 years. Can you imagine how it must have felt to get this off of his chest? He's been cheated. There have been times of uncertainty. His wages have been changed 10 times. Can you imagine how he's felt in this moment? He said, what have I done to you? And if you read through the next couple verses, he makes a justification for everything he's done right in his life to Laban. He says, I have been with you and faithfully served you. Your goats have not miscarried. I took care of your herds. He didn't eat what was Laban's. He only ate what was his own. He even replaced slaughtered animals out of his own herd for Laban, which was completely unheard of in this time. Jacob had done nothing but show integrity in all that he had done with Laban. And Laban still cheated him. But what we see is that even in his integrity, Laban was showing him unfairness. Nothing that Jacob had done was good enough. Jacob presents the idea of it being God's direction when he leaves. What happened is God protected Jacob by leaving from all that was from having all that was his taken away by Laban. And what we see is two things here. We see that Jacob saw that it was God's protection over him, even though he left the way that he did. But I find it interesting that he didn't claim God as his own in that very specific time. He referred to God as the God of my grandfather, in the fear of Isaac, but he never said, my God. So church, sometimes I pray that we don't fall into that, that we look and we receive the blessings of God, but we don't trust that God is our God. So you, I want you to see what he's doing. He's willing to accept the protection. He's willing to accept the promise of God, but he wasn't willing to admit that it was his God that was providing it all along. though it was God providing the one, the protection, and also provides the provision that he has. And that's our final point, is God's provision. If we look all the way back at the beginning to verse 9, it says, thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Church, I want us to forget that there's nothing that is actually ours. Deuteronomy 10.14 says, behold to the Lord your God, belongs heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that is in it. Church, everything that we have is God's. We only get it for a temporary season in our life. But even in the midst of this, of Laban's selfish ways, he was still providing for Jacob. God has taken away the livestock and given of your father and given it to me. And then in verse 43, he says this, then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these daughters or for their children whom they have been born? Did you pick up the arrogance in that? There's an arrogance that is Laban's downfall, and it's the downfall of us. But there's a boldness in the arrogance that presents itself in this specific statement, it is mine. Well, no, it's not, and we know it's not. But in his downfall, Laban doesn't know this. 
Laban is insinuating in this moment that, hey, I'll be nice for a little bit and you can use what I have. But we don't serve a God who is like that. Do not look at the provisions in your life and allow yourself to fall into a sense of an arrogant lifestyle, church. God has provided you with everything you need and he will continue to provide you with everything you need in the circumstances he is placing you in. Do not take what he has given you and throw it into the face of those around you. And I think that's hard sometimes. We like to show off what we get. We like to show off what, what we've paid for. But church, we are called to not be arrogant and haughty. In verse 48 and 50, says, Laban said, this, is a, this heap is a witness between you and me today. For he said, the Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, God is a witness between you and me. So what's happened is they've gone and they've had dinner at this point and they're talking things out. And the covenant between the two of these men is known as a mitzvah. And a mitzvah in Jewish terms is basically just a watch or a watchtower. It says, I'm not going to be around you, but God will see it. And I hope God punishes you if you break our covenant. So the idea that God will punish one if they break the covenant, it, it, to me, it seems funny that Laban will agree to that. He doesn't know God but he's willing to accept the terms of God in that moment. So even as he was beginning to understand that God was always watching and God was my witness, was he truly living that out? And that's my question for you all. Because the witness of God is a pretty strong witness, church. So I want you to look back at your week. Look back at your yesterday, your last night, tomorrow knowing that God is watching everything you're doing, even in the times that you're not around anybody? Does your witness say who you are? Does your witness show that you're a Christian? As you go to work tomorrow or school tomorrow, do those around you look to you and say, I wanna live like them. I wanna be like them. I want what they have because they look happy, because God is giving them provision in their life. Would you be ashamed of what God witnesses in your actions? Would you be ashamed of the words that you said this week to those around you? If someone was standing on a watchtower looking over the smallest details of your life, could you claim that you are a follower of Christ? I would say that's hard sometimes for us. And in verse 55, to close out the sermon... This is, one of the, this is probably the saddest part of the chapter for me. It says, early in the morning, Laban arose and he kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and he returned home. Church, this is sad. Jacob and Laban had been together for over 20 years and Laban just kisses his family goodbye and they go separate ways. Rather than following the plan that he witnessed Jacob living, Laban lost it all. Laban, time and time again, had been afforded the ability to know God. 
but he still walked away with nothing. Jacob will go back to Canaan and Laban will go back home never to see each other again. You see, what happened was Laban didn't want the actual blessing of God. He merely coveted the blessing and the benefits that were reaped from it and the provision that God was giving Jacob. Church, it's easy for us to look at what others have around us and it's easy for us to look at what they are doing and say, I'd rather have that life because that life looks much easier than my life as a Christian. I don't want to be on show all the time. I want to do what I want. I want to say what I want. I want to become of the world and walk away from the God that I know. And when that happens, it's easiest for us to fall into prey of the world. It's easy for us to become semi-religious. It's easy for us to become self-worshipping. It's easy for us to glorify ourselves instead of Christ. And it's easy for us to be self-gratifying. But church, you have a way out. You have a way to repent from all of that, and it's called Jesus. It's as simple as knowing him as your Savior. Simple as the gospel, knowing that Christ lived, he breathed, he died for you to reconcile you back to God. To become your propitiation so that you can turn from the world that you live in and go running to his throne of grace. Knowing that when you leave this world, you will leave with everything. So you may not understand it. You may not even know the path that God has you on right now. But God has created a perfect desire in your heart, whether you realize that right now or not, and he will direct you on that desire. He will provide protection on that desire, and he will provide you with everything that you need. Because, church, his plan is perfect on your life, while yours is not. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. To learn more about New Heights Church or a relationship with Christ, please visit our website at www.newheightswv.com.